My name is Leslie Payne. Welcome to Below the Median Income. The land on which we gather is the traditional lands of Iowa Tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, Iowa Tribe of Oklahoma, Meskwaki Nation, Sac and Fox Tribe of the Mississippi in Iowa, and the Sioux people. We pay our respect to elders, both past and present. Below the Median Income was inspired by two quotes. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. From entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn. And on March 12, 2018, Director Joshua V. Barr of the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission said, We have 75% of students experiencing some form of poverty in Des Moines public schools. So what can we do to improve that outlook? Research has shown that if a person remains in an impoverished condition up through their adolescent years, they are more likely to remain in that position as they become older and become adults. These quotes and the information related to them evolved into an art installation, visual and audio components to place the visitor outside the space they routinely travel. The audio components are interview recordings obtained from people involved with public or nonprofit organizations. The interviews tell the visitor about where that person routinely travels. The installation contrasts Des Moines ranking as a best-in-nation place to live, Iowa nice reputation of being overly friendly and go out of our way to help fellow citizens, and the visitor's personal story. My guest for day six is Nancy Marazzi, the founder of Pi 515. The letters Pi stand for Pursuit of Innovation. The mission of the organization is to challenge, inspire, and teach technology skills to students with potential, empowering refugee and underserved youth to achieve success, garner influence, and gain stability in their families and communities. Pi 515 gives students a place to learn about coding, innovation, and critical thinking. Thank you for joining me, Nancy. What suburb of Des Moines do you live in? I live in Altona. Who do you live with? My daughter. Are you their primary support? Yes. Finish the sentence. When I walk outside the place I live... I see hope. I see potential. Where did you grow up? I lived in Kenya. It's actually very beautiful. We're in tropical, so there's no snow. How old were you when you came to the United States? I want to think I was 17, 18. How were you able to come to the U.S.? I have family here, so I came because of that as well as going to school. What was your first impression of coming to the U.S.? I flew through Chicago. I landed here wearing a raincoat. It was snowing in Chicago and all the planes were down. It was a really cold experience. I went to, my sister had a friend who picked me up, went through the subway to their place. Uh, no gloves or anything. It was very cool. And then, of course, you know, after traveling for long, you ask to shower, right? And I did shower. Not a good idea because of frostbite. That was my amazing experience. <laughs>
Were there cultural differences to get used to? Yeah, quite a lot, actually. And I think when you talk about cultural differences, those things change often. Because now, if you look at it, you're living in a more technological world. So things are very different right now. But there was quite a lot of differences. Like, for example, on a Sunday, church for me, I grew up going to church basically most day Sunday. It's kind of like traditional one hour. And guys are done. So there's such a difference. Also, here, there's such a respect for time. There, there's no respect for time sometimes. It was quite an adjustment in terms of like learning to respect time. That if you say you're going to be there at five, you should really be there at five or at least call and apologize or give her a reason why you're late. So I, I think it put a little structure for me. And I don't remember growing up being helped to be more organized in terms of setting up my goals. Or maybe my goals changed. I don't know. But I feel like being here, that has helped. Did you go to college in Des Moines? I kind of dropped out. So we can. <laughs> but somehow I'm busy championing kids to go to college. My experiences have, has taught me better that with anything else, you really need a good plan. That's part of the things that I'm planning and I'm making sure that I help kids plan and not just jump into things like I did. What made you want to stay in Des Moines? I've loved the people and the people who surround me. What is the trait you admire in those closest to you? Genuine. What motivates you? Life motivates me. Do you volunteer your time? Oh, yeah. And actually, that's how I landed and how I got to doing what I do right now and studying Pi Heaven 5 because I volunteered a lot. I make sure my daughter volunteers a lot. It is such a fulfilling thing in you when you give your time to actually serve somebody else. Volunteering has helped me discover myself. When I serve, I feel peace. And I know that I cannot solve everything. But I ask myself, what am I trying to impact? And where do I need to go? And how do I help people get to a better place? One thing I know is we cannot use one size fit all approach. What church do you go to? Right now I go to Zion Lutheran. And there are times I visit different churches. I really support a lot of African churches as well. How did you find out about Zion? I'm actually glad you asked that question. Because I didn't know about Zion. I met my Iraqi friend who is Muslim. He's the one who used to talk very highly of Zion as a place for refuge, a place where they would come, a place where they felt accepted. He would always say, oh, let me take you there. And I'm like, oh, okay. So when I was looking to start my program and I didn't have space, he said, let's just go talk to Pastor John. When I came in to talk to Pastor John, he said, okay, I don't have much, but if you want to use this space, you can use it. So they've been welcoming for me from day one. We work with technology. We teach kids how to program. Everybody says it's a very crucial skill, but we are housed at a basement of a church. So that speaks highly of where we are right now.
Describe your weekday. Uh, very busy. It depends on what I have to do. I have to juggle a lot of multiple things. Still a very tiny organization, so I could be writing grants in the morning. I could be setting up a meeting at six in the morning. I'm consistently on the go. So like on Wednesday, for example, I had meetings in the morning and then I went for career day at Harding Middle School. Spent there about three hours. When I left there, I had two classes at East High School. We had a web class and an app class. Then from there, I had to go pick up about 10 girls to come here and sit here and talk about how we're going to build a drone. By the time I got home by nine, I was like exhausted. What programs does Pi 515 have going on for the fall 2018 semester? We have two classes at Uber High School. We have two classes at East High School. We are supporting another AP class at Roosevelt. Then we're having a class at Harding Middle School. That's quite a lot. My guest for day 11 is Richard Duncan. In 1996, he politely informed his wife, Madison Deshay Duncan, about growing up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood of Des Moines, located around Center Street. After additional research about the area, Madison was inspired to found Community Legacy Matters Incorporated. The focus is to research and develop creative and innovative educational resources that preserve, promote, and educate the public on the history of Iowa's culturally significant but historically underrepresented communities. One of those educational resources is a documentary titled The Center Street Story, an Urban Renewal Retrospective. Richard Duncan is the narrator and Center Street historian for the project. Through the voices of former business owners and residents, the documentary tells the rise and fall of the historic Center Street community, an African-American business district that existed for more than five decades prior to being destroyed as a result of the 1950s Oak Ridge Urban Renewal Project. Thank you both for joining me. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I live in the King Irving neighborhood. Who do you live with? I live with my wife, Madison. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... A multicultural neighborhood. When I step outside the place I live, I hear... More or less typical community. Kids playing, park activity, music from neighborhood barbecues and such. Sad to say, on the negative side, very rare occasion, we even heard some gunshots. Did you grow up in Des Moines? Born and raised. Who did you live with on Center Street? Mother and father. We had a two-story home. We had the upstairs, and my aunt and uncle and their daughter, my cousin, had the downstairs, 1417 Center Street. I'm 76 years old now, so I've seen quite a bit, experienced quite a bit. That's why I became the historian for Center Street. I've seen Center Street from five to its demise. I consider myself very fortunate to be considered a historian, but not so much studying it, but actually living it. 
I experienced in the street, walking hand in hand with my mom and dad, eating in restaurants there, getting my hair cut at the barbershops and such as a kid, to the point where I got to be a teen and experiencing things a little different, walking through Center Street without my parents. But everyone would know that that's Ted's son because it was a community that knew everyone. Then to the point where they had a teen corner, which was on 13th and Center. So as a teenager, we gathered there. At the age of 17, now getting a little older and, you know, getting other desires to mingle and was fortunate enough to be able now to go into the pool hall and play go into the shoe shine shop, my shoe shine, and even able to, around the age of 18 or so, go into some of the clubs. Residents and business owners in the Center Street community started to see the physical environment changing around them when the Oak Ridge Urban Renewal Project began in the 1950s. This is for Madison or Richard. When did the last business close? The last building would have come down in 1970. Did you see the owners relocating their businesses to continue what had been their livelihood? Good question. Some of them. The businesses that were on Center Street relocated north of University, on University Avenue. There was a transition. Those businesses now have been transitioned again. They moved even further north. You have to understand that Center Street was a community that had everything, restaurants, the pool halls, the barbershops, those type of things. Some of them did not, but most of them did transition to University North. Most of them did. The barbershops did. The transition was a good transition because they moved from one guy built a brand new place. There was different club owners that built brand new clubs, some remodeled other clubs, so the area on university became what Center Street was, so to speak. The area predominated businesses by black owners. It was a transition from Center Street to university. Those businesses now have transitioned again through the years. So, of course, we're talking about two transitions, from Center Street to university and from university further north. Did the community feeling of Center Street move with the businesses and residents? There was a lot of changes. Let me preface this. A lot of the owners did buy properties, built businesses upon university. But it never was the community aspect as it was once before. Now, you have to realize, Center Street was ingrained through years, back to the 20s, okay? So you're talking about an area from the 20s to the 50s. When Center Street moved, those places upon university, that was in the been 60s. 60s and 70s. Okay. So then there was another transition in less than... Well, well it, was, it was a transition because it was urban renewal again. Well, that's what I'm saying. So the answer question was, was it the same type of neighborhood? No, it wasn't the same type of neighborhood. But there was other factors. The whole city of Des Moines was changing. The whole dynamics of the city was much smaller then. So with the growth of the city, there was disbursement even where you live. You know, there was not just a black community, so to speak, anymore, because the black community was spread out more. So it wasn't just that centralized place. Which Des Moines public schools did you attend? 
I went to Bird Elementary School, to Callanan Junior High, to North Des Moines High School. I think it's important that you also say that you still own the house that your parents moved to in the King Irving neighborhood. Sure. When we moved from Center Street because of Urban Renewal, we moved to the address that we've given you here, 125014. Still own that property since 1956 or 7. It was quite a change for me. You have to understand, to give you a little geographical sketch of Center Street and the neighborhood that we moved to was across University Avenue, was north of University. Now, at that time, north of University, Washington Irving Junior High School was there, which the blacks went to, but no blacks lived north of University. So when I'm moving from Center Street to North of University, there was quite a culture shock for me because there was, you know. You didn't see yourself reflected back. Correct. I went to Callanan Junior High School from Bird School, which Bird School was multicultural school. This was in 57. Callanan Junior High School had five blacks in the whole school when I went there. Our school system at that time had just several junior high schools and high schools. If you lived on the west side, you either went to Callanan Junior High School, which was on far west, or you went to Washington Irving Junior High, which was kind of, I don't know, central. central. And then you had your junior high schools on the east side. So there was only two junior highs that I could have went to, Callanan or Washington Irving. Obviously, with only five blacks at Callanan, well, there was only three before me and my buddy came. So, obviously, that was the white junior high. Just to kind of give you a time span, you can kind of see that there was a little difference as far as compared to now. Twenty-eight percent of students at Callanan Junior High School for the 2018-2019 school year are white, according to information available from Des Moines Public Schools. It is a majority-minority population, which means more than half of the student body represents social, ethnic, or racial minorities. When is the last time you asked for help? I've been fortunate if you say ask for help as far as needing help from a person in regards to financial or obvious things of maybe getting pulled out of the car stuck or something like that. So I haven't had to ask for that type of help. Now, spiritually, I've had to pray to God for help for just different things, more or less could be a crisis, not necessarily a bad crisis, but a decision something that I would need help spiritually. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? I'm going to go back to my mother and father. My father left a lot for me to stand on. Principles gave me two things I'll never forget. Believed in hard work and had good credit. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll take you a long ways. This is a man that has went through a lot, and I've seen him make the most. He might not have had a million dollars, but he was worth multiple ways. I'd be amiss to not mention my wife. I greatly think a lot of her. I know her history and what she's went through, 
and to see her become so successful. So just to see the determination that she has kind of sets fire to me also. My guest for day 19 is Tyra. She is the government programs coordinator at Broadlawns Medical Center. The organization has a long-standing history of attending to the medical needs of Polk County residents. With its origins dating back to 1903, the hospital was established to provide medical care for the indigent, and the same mission of service drives the hospital today. New programs, new services, and advanced medical expertise are constantly being added and updated to meet the evolving needs of Polk County for the highest quality care. Thank you for joining me, Tyra. Which suburb of Des Moines do you live in? Grimes. Who do you live with? I live alone. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... Community. Horses. Land. It's very quiet. It's a safe community. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. East side of Detroit. What languages do you know? I know English. I know a few words in Spanish. I know some French, very little. Canada is a bordering country, so certain parts of Canada, French speaking. When I was in school coming up, French was the language to learn for that area. How did you end up in Des Moines? Employment transition here. To Des Moines in 1999. Des Moines, Iowa has a way of capturing people and retaining people. It's a place that is hard to break away from. What was your first impression? My first impression of Des Moines was way before I got here. I had no intention, really. I did not want to come here. I thought about corn, fields of corn. Okay, um, being Afro-American, that does not work for me. I saw Des Moines as a place that would not meet my cultural needs in terms of hair products, <laughs> food, <laughs> clothing. <laughs> so I had a whole array of concerns about moving to Des Moines. And what Des Moines is, and what Des Moines was, and what Des Moines will be. <laughs> You're one of two people in my whole life that I've met that had so many letters after their name on their business card. Education is very important to you, so I wanted you to explain your education background. Yes, education is very important to me. I enjoy information, so with that, I am educated. I have a bachelor's of arts from Grandview University in Business Administration. I have a Master's of Education from Drake University. 
with the focus on adult learning and organizational performance, training and development. I have a master's in jurisprudence from Drake University Law School, concentration on health law. Go to church and follow a religious practice. Yes, I am a member of Cornerstone Family Church in Des Moines, non denomination church, Christian. I have the great faith in God. He is first in my life. It makes a difference when you are spiritually led. You have a faith based component within your life. It does make a difference in how you live your life and everything around you. Your surroundings and the people you are surrounded by. How is volunteering your time being impact on your life? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Volunteerism is at the top, I say, at the top of the totem pole. I serve on four different volunteer boards. I serve on the executive for Happy Birthday, um, the Discount the Kids, Lutheran Park Community Long-Term Care Facility, Cornerstone Family Church, and Healthy Homes. It is so important to me to give back to the communities because of where I came from. Had it not been people giving back to the community, that I came from, which was very poor, but giving to me, I wouldn't be the woman that I am today. My children believe in giving back. It's one of our family values, and it will always be a top value in my life. I can't, words can't even explain. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? Laughter, comedy, okay. The ability to turn sour situations into sweet laughter. Laughter is uh, it's, it's a medicine for health. My daughters, we all have a sister here. But, uh, I have a dry sister, but I, I just love the artistic value of it's one of the things I didn't expect to like the sound of people laughing so much on the recordings. Yes. Yeah. I something they probably really didn't know, but we do. <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite things. Do you vote in elections? Yes. Which ones? Local, national? Local primary elections, elections leading up to the primary. The vote is very important. It's very important to exercise the privilege of the vote, especially for me being a minority and being a woman. So that is a privilege that I always do. What's something you do for yourself? I love me time. Okay, uh, me time details nothing. Reflection, self-reflection. I always want to make sure that 
I step back from all the things that I do because I do so much and allow myself time to do introspection, be it making goals, just relaxing, reading a book. It's very important, introspection, because without introspection, you can become depleted. Your energy can be easily depleted. I love to just have me time reading magazines, Bible posts, affirmations, watching documentaries. I love information, so that's a part of my self-reflection, seeing how other people live their lives, not comparing my life. But in some situations, being grateful for where I am in my life, the future. You're the government programs coordinator at Broughton Lawns. What kind of things are you taking care of? No two days are the same, okay? So when I get to work in the morning, of course, I have a calendar. I need to check my calendar to see if I have any committee meetings to attend, healthcare-related meetings, um, board meetings, whatnot. But no two days are the same. Within the work that I do, I work with patients to help them to secure programs that will finance their health care needs. That's including Social Security Disability, Medicaid, Medicare, what have you. It's a great big responsibility because with that, I need to always stay abreast of different types of programs. So with that comes rules and regulations and policies that govern certain programs and how people are able to meet criteria to navigate through programs or to secure programs. I do trainings, staff training annually to ensure that my medical staff and everyone, financial counselors, are all on top of what there is in terms of financial resources for our patients. I serve on several committees to advocate for patients because we serve underserved populations. We do a lot of advocacy for patients who can't speak for themselves. When is the last time you asked for help? I am a person who will ask, okay? It probably was yesterday or this morning or maybe 30 minutes ago. I am not afraid to ask for help. Okay, that is probably one of my features or my traits within my profession, okay, and connecting with people and being resourceful because I will ask. (laughs) I'm not afraid to ask, well, hi, how are you? I met you at so-and-so. You know, it came up in my mind, do you mind if I can call on you to do X, Y, Z? I'm not afraid of that. What challenges do you face in the healthcare industry? I'm sorry, that's so many. Let me rephrase that question. It's a good question. Okay, go ahead. It's a good question. There are a lot of challenges in terms of me working in healthcare. My expertise and my knowledge, I don't feel it's utilized to its fullest extent 
that might currently employ me. I think it's a challenge being a black woman. Okay, if I were a Caucasian woman with the same credentials, the same talents, I would probably be higher up in my career. So, being here in Iowa and being a black woman in Iowa, an educated black woman, is a huge challenge. What brings you the most joy in your position at Rodgers? Oh my goodness, when I can find financial resources, coverage for that person who is stage three, stage four cancer, and they come to Broadlands and they say, I'm able to do it, I have health insurance, I'm over income, or whatever reason is, and I'm able to tap into those resources and help them to secure a way to finance their life. It's their life. Oh my goodness, I cry. I've cried a lot with patience. I go home. I rejoice in tears. It's a good cry, you know. The best part of why I stay at wrong is the patients. They appreciate me, and I appreciate caring for them. What does success look like for you? Success for me, I have not yet arrived there. I have carved out in my mind that Success for me is being able to help people and to improve systems, of systems to a level where people are able to utilize their health care benefits to a level where people are healthier, especially in my community. And when I say my community, in the black community, it concerns me, the chronic health problems that we have that concerns me with the, the crime rates, you know, inflicted on black and black crime. Success to me would be making a difference in my communities, seeing those people who look like me live longer lives, more fulfilled lives, and to be able to put a smile on their face and to Laughter. My guest for day 24 is Myla. She participated in Movement 515. The program is offered to students in Des Moines Public Schools. Students and mentors attempt to slow down the world and investigate themselves. They work toward becoming change agents shedding light on the impact human emotion and connection brings to the global community. Movement 515 is an urban arts community where twice a week students and mentors come together to create spoken word poetry. Thank you for joining me, Myla. What suburb of Des Moines do you live in? I actually live in Inky. It's kind of like northeast, kind of towards the edge. Where I live, you get off the last exit before you go to Ames, so it's kind of like on the outskirts. Who do you live with? My mom, my stepdad, my siblings.
Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see a lot of the same type of structures of buildings, basically an enclosed area where it's kind of like a small community. You can say I see a lot of the neighbors, they know each other, they speak to each other. It's kind of quiet, but then again, people know each other, so they go out there all the time. They're just all around each other, going to each other's houses and everything. But um, I don't know, I see a lot, I see a lot of like the same type of faces. And honestly, when I step outside, I just see a place where like I don't normally fit in at. Or like I've never really been familiar with this type of setting before. What area were you more used to being in? I'm used to being on part because I grew up on the south side of Des Moines. When I was growing up, like in middle school, I moved to actually like Waukee and like the Valley area, and I felt out of place over there a little bit too. Just it was just very different dynamics and like environments in terms of just like the neighborhood and how everything looks outside. I came back from those areas. I came into the east side of Des Moines. I stayed there for more than a year, which was like not very familiar just because we were a family that just were always like moving around. We would never stay in a place um, longer than a year. When I came to the east side, I just felt more comfortable there. I don't know what it was. I mean, I guess I saw a lot of people that kind of looked like me, talk like me, and so I just kind of felt more at home. I didn't feel like I had to try to be a certain way or present myself in a certain manner to where it would be more accepting. Where I really like came into my own, where I became more aware of my surroundings and like learning who I am. What languages do you know? I know English, obviously, and then I speak Hmong, which is an Asian language, and I know a little bit of Spanish. Is Hmong what you speak at home? Yes. Do you have a large group of people that you can speak that language with, or is it mostly your immediate family? There is. There's not a lot of us here in Des Moines, or just Iowa in general. We stem a lot from immigrant families. So who come from like, Thailand and like China. We're like a, a subgroup, actually, of like different Asian cultures. I speak with my, my mom at home, and then I speak with any family members that I have outside the community. Sometimes if I go to the store and there's someone that I recognize that they speak it, then I might like respond back to them in that. There's a good amount of people, but I would say I can speak more with it to a lot more people when I'm outside of Iowa, like I would say you know, Minnesota or Wisconsin. How do you get from place to place? I drive. Was DART ever your primary way to get from place to place? Yes, it was. I depended on DART heavily when it was my senior year of high school, just because I was actually living in Ankeny, but then I went to Lincoln to take like two different buses to school and at home and so it was on a time limit because the dark buses that ran to Ankeny stopped at six o'clock. So I had a time limit right after school if I wanted to go to you know any after school activities that I did to make sure that I was there early or I stayed there for as long as I could and I had to leave and make it to my bus because if I missed my bus I had no way to get home. Describe a typical weekday. What's your life look like? Basically, if it's during school time, then right now I'm currently enrolled in um, my second year at DMAT. Typically, I'd wake up, go to school right after school, I might have breaks, and then I'll just try to get some studying in or just eat. And basically, I go to work right afterwards, and I'm there till like 10 o'clock at night. I basically repeated the same thing throughout 
the week. But I try to find time to still get all my creative sessions in, whether that's writing any songs or writing poetry or just writing anything in general. I try to do that as much in between all of the other adulting stuff that I have to do. I also like to read a lot. It's harder for me to just like start a book out of nowhere if it's like something for like an assignment for class. Start on it, like write that. I love listening to music as well. No matter what I was doing, I always had to be listening to music. It's like I have a connection with it. It's important to like make sure that I always get like my little sessions in. I always have headphones on me. I always have something to write with, or like my phone, the notepad. If I think of anything, I'm always writing stuff down. During school, my life is just pretty much work, no play. I think Des Moines is a place that you're going to stay? Des Moines is different than any other city that I've ever been to. And I don't think it's just because like I grew up here. It's just where we are, essentially. Like, this is the type of state that we are. I just feel like Des Moines is really unique. I don't know. I feel I really like it here, but sometimes I feel like I could... I could do more elsewhere. I've gained all of the resources, like information, knowledge, skills, whatever here, but I feel like I would just get better used to it somewhere else, and then maybe I could come back and feed in. I think about leaving a lot, but I would definitely come back and settle. I would be like a far from the future. What's something you do for yourself? I like to take time to myself just to kind of close off everyone and everything. I think it's really important to like kind of have these check-ins because like you might not always have people that would do that for you. So like I try to be that person to where, you know, if I feel like I haven't sat down and really thought about what's going on in my life for something, then I like to sit back and do that a little bit. I like to think I'll, how I'm going to move on in life. I do that a lot. I always come up with different ways, like, okay, what am I doing? How am I going to do this? What is the goal that I have? Do you vote in elections? I tried. So when the recent presidential election happened, I wasn't old enough to vote, and I was very upset. My birthday was going to be a month after it, and I was so close. And I did vote in the recent re-election for governor. I'm trying my best to like get more onto that scene because it's important to me. Why is it important? Politics in, in general is important to me just because I feel like I think that's it's always changing. It's always going to be involved in our lives, even if people think that it's it's some type of like outside thing that happens that's not around us. But I feel like politics affect everyday lives. I like to stay informed. I like to know what is happening around me. I like to know what I'm talking about. And just the type of person that I am, I'm very outspoken about the things that I'm passionate about. It's important to me just to be knowledgeable on the different types of people that are coming into our city and just who's representing us and who's fighting for us. And when I say us, I guess I have a different... I think of a different group of people when I mention us, but who can be the voice for us? Sometimes I feel like I can be that change, but I'm not there yet, so I try to find who's the best person to go to. These things are important to me just because it affects my everyday life, it affects the people around me, it affects you know how I walk on the streets and how I am on the internet. It's important to just know these things and to understand what's going on in the world around us.
Do you follow a religious practice or go to a place of worship? I used to go to this church, which is like the only low church in Iowa that I'm aware of. But I stopped going there just because, I mean, I'm, I'm Christian, but I'm also really into uh, spirituality and like Buddhism and stuff like that. It wasn't like very heavy strength just because um, in my culture we're originally shaman and then when we came over to the U.S. is when we started to more like switch practices and stuff. Shaman is more old school. I just try to keep an open mind because a lot of things interest me. There will be things in Christianity that I don't exactly agree with or like I just can't bring myself to understand why it would be that way. I look into other religions that I feel like I can resonate with that or I can understand that. So I like to pull those different influences or ideas or anything in my life just because I feel like I don't want to just see one way. I feel like that's just, just narrow-minded and you're just never going to see everything else for what it is. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? Ooh. How honest people can be. Just because I really cherish that in my life, honesty for sure. I appreciate how loyal those are that are around me just because that doesn't come very often in my life and it's hard for me to trust people. So whenever someone shows me or just kind of shows through their character, I really, really appreciate that as well. I love how protective some of the people are around me too. You know, I've grown up always feeling like I was on my own, always fending for myself. I'm the type of person that's like, I don't want to ask for help. Like, that is the last thing I want to do. Just because I'm like, no, I can do it myself. I got this. I'm independent. I just appreciate how the people around me are so protective and they're always willing to help me back home. When is the last time you asked for help? I'm going to say it was when I was talking to my mother. She... I grew up in an also very traditional household and where I come from where the elders are not very expressive with their feelings. We shame rather than we accept certain things that happen, which is very unfortunate. So me and my mom, we didn't have the best relationship. We weren't that close. But recently, like, I kind of just told myself, you know, I'm 20 years old now. It's about time that I have a good relationship with my mother just because that is the number one person in my life that I care about, I won't do anything for it. She's the only one that has been there for me. My father wasn't in my life at all, and I met him for the first time when I was 16, so she's the number one person that I care about. So I took it upon myself to you know, go to her, and I was dealing and struggling with something very hard in my life, and something that had happened to me that I, I just felt like was just weighing on my soul, and I needed to come to her and talk to her about it. And basically just ask for help, like, you know, what do I do? How do I deal with this situation? I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. never come to my mom with a situation like this before. Like, I've never asked for help in this type of way. I always went to my stepfather because he's more open to conversations that can get very deep. Not saying that my mom isn't, but she doesn't have that capacity to have those type of conversations with me, if that makes sense. I came to her and I explained the situation and it turns out that she actually went through the same thing when she was younger. I had never known that before in my life. First time in 20 years I learned this really, really deep, deep secret from my mom and I was like, wow, that's crazy that we both went through the same thing. She opened up to me and I opened up to her. It was something that I needed that I didn't know that I needed.
What does success look like for you? <sighs> just being at peace, honestly. And just being content with where my life is. Obviously, it would be nice to have a lot of money, but I feel like success is just all about where you are in your life. You know, if, I, if I'm healthy, if, you know, I'm taking care of my business, if I'm doing what I'm passionate about, then to me, that's what being successful is. Being able to do what you want to do, do what you love, and also at the same time, helping others. Whenever I think about myself living my life not having to worry about anything, I don't really think about money being in the picture. It's obviously something that I would appreciate, but I don't need that to be successful. When did you become interested in poetry? Ooh, okay. Honestly, when I first thought about poetry, the first thing that I ever knew, all I knew was just William Shakespeare. And I was like, what is this? I don't understand it. How is that beautiful? It doesn't make any sense. It was my freshman year, and I was taking English, and we had to learn about William Shakespeare, and I was just like, this is ridiculous. And I always heard, you know, poetry, you know, being referred to as something beautiful and something that was just monumental in a way. As I was at East, the assembly, and there was the club, a movement from five, that was ran by Kayla O'Connor. She did a poem, and I was like, wow, I want to do something like that. Like, how she did it, like, she just did it so many different plays on words and everything. And I was just like, the reaction that she received from the crowd was just amazing. I was like, I love that. That affirmation, that, that energy, I love it. I want, I want that. I need that. And I want to say it was like the second semester of my sophomore year is actually when I actually went, just because I was so shy. And I didn't I wanted to show up already having some type of materials. I didn't feel like I was just some newbie coming in that just wanted to get in on all of the fun. I was in, in the workshop the entire time, so how they did their poetry, how they structured it, and I actually learned what spoken word was and how poetry has many different forms. At first, I was just someone like to use rhyming a lot because that was one of the techniques that we were introduced to, and I just rhymed like every other line. I learned, um, that's not really doing anything. Because, you know, I learned that our poetry is this, or at least spoken word, is telling your story. And it's telling the truth, but telling it's slammed. That's how I kind of just figured how to kind of put everything, all the trauma and pain and anything that I've ever gone through in my life and learn how to put it into a poetry form. What opportunities became available to you as a student in the movement 515? Oh my goodness. So many opportunities were introduced. I never thought I would be someone where I could tell my story and what I've been through and actually have people listen to me and actually take what I'm saying and letting it resonate with them. When I first came into movement, we were introduced to so many opportunities like performing at different places, uh, putting on shows for organizations and charities. We were able to put our names out there as student poets. We were able to create a brand for ourselves in a way, you know, and this was something that we were introduced to to see if we wanted to keep continuing doing this just because eventually this whole organization will be run entirely by the youth. They were all just prepping us to be leaders in our own ways. I kind of learned who I was through that and what I wanted to do and what I was capable of doing and the type of power that I had as a student poet, as a woman poet. How has volunteering your time changed your outlook? The way I grew up 
always like, oh, I'm very based on like traditions or certain things that we do and don't do in our cultures. There's a certain standard for the women and for the men. I think it's kind of like that in every Asian culture. So I used to think one certain way or like I used to just know that this was like the only, the only way that something was supposed to be done. Before I was introduced to movement, I kind of saw on a one-way track there were certain things around me that would be said that it might not immediately be something that I could like respond to and feel like, oh, okay, that's fine. It was more like a, I don't know if that's okay, but I kind of grew up around this, so maybe it's okay type of way of thinking. When I moved into movement and kind of just got involved in different types of activities that they offered, I started to see the world differently. I started to like see the people around me differently, family members, everything like that. I started to think in a more open-minded way. Before I got to movement, I didn't really think about what I was going to say before I said it. And I was the type of person where I would just listen to respond, not listen to understand. Before I got into movement, I was just like kind of set on what I wanted to think and say. I might ask you a question, what your thoughts might be, but I already have what I'm thinking in my mind as that's what it said. I wasn't really listening to what the other person was saying, which is not a healthy way of, you know, being a person that has have conversations with people that's not the way you do it at all. I just learned how to be, just to have more humility, to just think in the other person's shoes and not always try to just see through my own eyes. Urban Leadership is a course available to students in Des Moines Public Schools. What is something from that class that plays a role in your life today? It taught me how to be vulnerable just because I never thought I would cry in front of my classmates, but actually feel okay and accepted and not ashamed. It taught me how important it is to know the facts, to know where everything stems from, because everything has a history and there are layers to history. It taught me how to just to be more informative. What opportunities became available to you as a teaching artist now? I have gotten the chance to be offered different types of positions that have to do with different programs that go out of movement. I got to be a teaching artist slash mentor artist in residence at Lincoln and kind of be co-mentor with one of the teachers there and help oversee the students, help coach them, and help educate all about like different techniques and poetry. A different opportunity that I was offered with was being able to be an urban arts camp mentor at a central campus for two weeks. It was like a camp to teach all these incoming freshmen and like say sixth through eighth graders just introducing them to movement and what we do, our rituals, introducing them how to do spoken word poetry, how to creatively express themselves, and learning all the different types of techniques. So it was really, really awesome to be able to do that. What challenges do you face mentoring youth? Oh, so many. Oh my goodness. I mean, uh, it's hard because you see yourself in them sometimes and you remember when you were their age, you remember all the stuff that you experienced that kind of helped you become the person that you are today, so you want to let them do that on their own, but sometimes you have to step in and kind of be that guiding force for them. The challenges I face is having to become the person for them that I didn't have for myself.
What motivates you? I guess I can't put it in one word. What motivates me is to just not live the life that I had. Uh, just because, I mean, not saying that it was completely terrible, but I went through some things that no child should have gone through. And I feel like it may have helped shape me into the person that I am today, but I truly feel like it's it's just too damaging. I think about my past and I kind of use it as a way to tell myself, you know what, you're never going to go through that again. You're never going to allow someone to make you feel powerless in a situation. You're never going to allow someone to take away your voice, anything. You're never going to let someone try to downplay anything that you've ever amounted to in your life. Think about just, you know, my kids that I will have in the future and just how I don't want them to go through what I went through and how I want to be a better parent than my parents were to them. To just provide something that is more beautiful and peaceful than I have.